But I want to share a story with you before I even pray to begin our time. Robert Louis Stevenson tells of a storm that, that caught a vessel off a rocky coast and, and threatened to drive it and its passengers to destruction. In the midst of the terror, uh, one daring man, contrary to orders, went to the deck and he, he made a dangerous passage to the pilot house and, and saw the steerman lashed fast to his post of holding the wheel unwaveringly and inch by inch turning the ship out once more to sea. The pilot saw the watcher and smiled. Then the daring passenger went below and gave out a note of cheer. He says, I've seen the face of the pilot. And he smiled. All is well. I'm going to ask you to tuck that story in the back of your mind. And at the very end, we're going to come back to that. But let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of having a quiet time where we can hear from you. And I pray that that's exactly what will go on, that each of us, including me, would hear you speak to us by name, that the words from your scripture, from your Holy Spirit, as I open my lips, that you would speak, and we would listen and not just hear things, but Lord, let them transform us into the people that you designed us to be. And Lord, I, I do pray that we would understand more clearly the gospel of peace than we did as we walked in these doors this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read for us uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 15. If you uh, have your Bibles or a Bible app, you'll notice there are no notes up there. So already I'm failing Clyde's fantastic way of doing things. I'm just doing it my way. So you're going to have to really focus and also participate. So it might be good to bring one of these next time or a Bible. But as I read it, I want you to remember that, friends, this is the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 15. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. If you haven't heard any of the other sermons on this, armor of God, you really should go to the website and, and listen to some fantastic speakers clarify and, and help you understand how to put into practice this armor of God, putting it on. I've been asked this morning to talk about the gospel of peace. It's interesting, it's, it's called the readiness, but that, that word, and, and Clyde again will be proud of me, in the Greek <laughs> is a word Kaligai. So let's say that together so he can watch this. So say Kaligai. Ready? Kaligai. Excellent. You guys have already learned a lot. But here's the thing. That word can be translated not just as readiness, but also as equipment. And what equipment would you strap to your feet? Shoes. 
The Roman soldiers had shoes, and those shoes that they wore were not to protect their feet. They would strap on the caligae, and it would give them sure footing. See, they would have nails on the bottom around the edges. And, and the reason that they were set up that way were so that if they were engaged in battle, they could dig in and, and hold their ground. And also, they would be useful as they would go for long marches and into battle, as they would move and take ground, they also had sure footing on any terrain. So, so how is the gospel of peace like a pair of army shoes? I think it's critical you understand that the gospel of peace you need to strap onto your spiritual feet so that you can dig in and know what's true when you're in the spiritual battle, when you're in the difficulties of life, when the enemy is whispering lies to your head and your heart, that you can hold your ground because you know what's true. And also, it says all over Scripture that, that we're to be ready to share the gospel of peace, to go into it. <laughs> I was thinking this morning, you know, there's, there's this phrase, Jesus says, you know, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Well, I think sometimes we think the gates chase us. Gates, gates don't move. We're actually supposed to move forward. So we as believers, when we're bringing the gospel of peace, when those truths of the gospel of peace are in us and we know it we can step into the craziest places and bring light and hope into families and lives that desperately need peace there's this beautiful verse in Isaiah 52 7 it says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace who bring good tidings who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. In the New Testament in 1 Peter 3.15, it has the same account of this idea of readiness, but it says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. Be prepared. Step into a place where the gospel of peace is needed. You see, speaking the gospel in word and in action, and if you don't do both, it's pretty hollow. But that's a vital part of all spiritual warfare in which we're engaged. Sharing the good news doesn't just bring light and hope to the world, by the way. It, it does, and we need to do that. We're asked, we're commanded to be witnesses. But you know what else happens when you share the gospel? It transforms you. It refreshes you. It reminds you. It gives you freshness in your journey. I, I've been in ministry for 25 years officially as, as a chaplain with Athletes in Action. I'm 53 years old, and I'm still alive. I don't mean breathing. I mean vibrant in my walk. How is it possible? Because sadly, so many of my Friends that started in ministry, they are still in ministry and they have become old and crusty and jaded and makes me sad. You want to know how to stay fresh? Share the gospel. Think about it. Let it get up in the morning and tie on the shoes of the gospel of peace and you will stay alive. Amen, Amen brother.
We got one amener up here. I love that guy. So what is the gospel of peace? I'm going to actually talk about what the gospel does when it brings peace in a story, and then we're going to go into the gospel. But let me share with you a story of six weeks ago. I have a close friend in the athletic world whose mother is dying of cancer. He comes to me and he said, Rod, would you please come and see mom? She really wants to see you. Really. They live in BC and I had a ministry trip, a crazy trip that tired me out. And I had gone to the coast and flown to the east coast in LA and back and I'm committed to going to see Sue. But I'm gassed. I got nothing in the tank and I'm driving over to the home of a woman I do not know who's dying. I go, God, would you please help me? How, how do I help this woman? I know that she needs you but I am just so tired. I show up at the door and, and Sue gets up off her bed chair thing and gives me a hug. And then Len, her husband, and then Kurt, and we fellowship and we, I lead them in prayer and we start to read through scripture and I'm helping her with the different emotions that you would feel and you do feel as you're headed more surely to the grave, although all of us are headed there at some point. But I want to share the gospel with her, but I want her to want to know my friend Jesus, my Savior. I say, Sue, do you have any questions? And she said, yes. I can't sign the do not resuscitate paper. I hear her heart. I say, why? Not because I'm mean, but I want her to speak it. She, she said, well, I want to be a fighter. I, I don't want to be a quitter. I, I just want to, I want to be here for my family. I said, Sue, but Why? We went back and forth a little and finally she bursts out because I'm afraid to die. I don't know where I'm going. I said, Sue, let me share with you if you're willing how to know where you're going. She goes, I want that. And she pulls out a Bible that I think she was given when she was some five or six years old as a kid. She had, had some experience with God. and. So we walked through the gospel and she's taking notes and we get to the end and she says, so I, I just need to pray and ask Christ in my life. Yep. I got to do that out loud? Yeah. All right, you, you help me. I'm, I'm ready. And so we pray together. And the face of this woman, it changes. It it. It goes from racked with pain, which she still had with fear that was now abating. And you see peace on her face. I, I go to hug her and she holds on for seemed like an awfully long time. And I leave and I think that's, that's peace. And then three weeks later, I'm, I'm back in Vancouver and I drive to see her and we share the fellowship of two believers and then I start to read scripture I start to read out of Psalms and she just lays back and she closes her eyes and this smile comes across her face by this point her her mind is starting to really feel the pressure of the cancer and her body is just starting to fall apart but as I'm reading through Psalm 139 I look over and this woman is totally at peace
She asked me to share that when it was time for the funeral. And on Friday, I will share with an audience like I'm sharing with you at her funeral. And what a privilege to have been through the gospel of peace with someone so close to death. But I think people should hear it sooner than that. That they might live a life here of walking with their Savior. And, and I got to say that last night I had some friends in the service and I was trying to understand what it would be like to show up at a church for the first time ever and, and songs and preaching and spiritual warfare and the gospel. And so I know I have a mixed audience. I have no idea. Some of you I know, most of you I don't. I'm going to share the gospel with you over the next few minutes. And if some of you are longtime Christians and deep in your faith, and you've even heard me share the gospel even here or somewhere else, and you go, oh, I know this story, I know, I know the gospel. Don't you dare shut that off. There might be one thing that God will use today to help you be a better proclaimer of the gospel and maybe more secure. Right? Every once in a while, don't you need to bend down and retie the shoes? If you, if you know your Savior but not well, maybe listen carefully so that you can express to your friends what's really been going on in you. And if you don't know Jesus, then friend, this morning, we're going to scrub away all the big religiosity of Christianity and we're just going to be at the simple gospel. And so as soon as I blow my nose, we'll get started. There are four truths that make up the gospel of peace. Four things you need to know. The first one is that God loves you. Period. He loves you. Our world is filled with longer sentences than that, aren't they? Whenever love is used, it's uh, I love you if, I love you when, and I love you because. If there's some kind of performance or some kind of, you know, reciprocation, then, then they love you and, and God goes, no, I love you, period. I don't know if you've seen the placard. I, I think the guy might be nuts, but I love his sign. On the NFL games back in the day, he used to run around with John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's good news. And by the way, that's what the gospel means. The word gospel means good news. <laughs> Too often I'm afraid that we as believers look like we got baptized in lemon juice. We, 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 we have lost the fact that we have good news. Let's live in that. But let me explain that Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full that it's abundant. God wants a relationship with us desperately. He made us, he created us, he loves us, and he wants a relationship. He wants our life to have meaning and purpose. That's the good news, the start of the gospel. The next point is, is not maybe as fun to hear and yet desperately important. 
See, we're, we're sinful and therefore we're separated from God who is perfect. We, we, we can't experience this relationship, this love of God. We can't know what it is that He wants for us, what He desires for us because we're sinful. In our modern culture, sin's not a very popular word. Right? How dare we? I don't know how many of you know, but Sin's actually an archery term. It, it, back when the Bible was written, if you shot an arrow and you hit the bullseye during the competition, you'd be given a mark of perfection. It's a perfect shot. But if you miss the bullseye, then you hit the next circle, the next one, you hit the neighbor's dog, it doesn't really matter how close or how far you got. You got a mark of sin. It just meant missing the mark of perfection. And so let me be clear, you are not perfect. Only God is. And because you have sinned, you're separated from God. It says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that means you and me and Mother Teresa and Hitler and everyone else has sinned. And then it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life. The wages of sin. Now, even if you've heard it before, I have to tell you my favorite story of this. I was sharing the gospel with a bunch of grade seven boys and this kid's in the front, and I didn't know if maybe they understood what a wage was. And so I say, you know, do you guys know what a wage is? And the kid sitting right here in the front row, he goes, it's, it's when Elma Fudd gets willy, willy mad. <laughs> he was close. A wage is something... I'm glad some of you guys are catching that now. <laughs> A wage is actually something you earn, something you have coming, something you deserve. The wages of sin is death. Spiritual separation from God, this is awful. Because the God who loves you wants this relationship, but he hates sin. So the third piece of the gospel, the third truth you need to know is that Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. It's through him alone that you can know God and experience a relationship with him. You see, our world is crazy because we think that we can be God. We've got bad news, that's not going to go well. And I don't want you to be God anyway, because you would do a lousy job. But truthfully, philosophy, other religions say, do this and you can appease God. You can be good enough to get into heaven. You... It doesn't work like that. And I'm sorry, but I, I'm going to have to pause for a moment. It's like a commercial. A, a bad commercial. I want you to consider that Sam, who I happen to know, I don't know if you know this, he's an unbelievable athlete. He really is. He and I are going to go to the widest part of the Grand Canyon. How many have been to the Grand Canyon? Put your hands up. I'm jealous of all of you. I have never been, but I've seen pictures, and someday I'm going to go, but I want you to know that I'm aware of how big that is. But Sam and I, and, and maybe Carl Lewis in his heyday, if you remember him, the great U.S. Long jumper, I think he still holds the record. We're going to go to the widest part of the Grand Canyon, and we say to ourselves, all we got to do is jump from here to the other side, land on the other side, and God will let us into heaven. He's going to forgive everything, all our sins, everything we've done bad, 
and, and, and every good thing that we failed to do and every thought that wasn't right, that's a lot of stuff. But I go first and I don't get very far. Sam outjumps me drastically and then Carl Lewis jumps and he jumps four or five or six or ten times farther than me. And he's so cocky, he turns around, smiles and waves at me because he's so outjumped me. And I smile and wave at him because I know where we're, we're going to meet. Where are we going to meet? At the bottom. At the bottom. We're not going to get there. It's not going to happen. I sometimes think, by the way, that sometimes as believers or people of religion, foolishly, we think because we're better than their neighbor that somehow that's good enough to get us into heaven. That is not going to happen. It is not us ever reaching to God. We can't do it. God has to reach to us, and he did that through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, who was God, saw the problem we had, and he came to this earth, and he, he was born. He put on skin, and then when it was the right time, he died in our place. You see, Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 6, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. Stop. Of all the things I'm about to say, this is probably the most important Paul said, this is of first importance. What does he say next? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and after that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, and then they appeared to more than 500 people, brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep at the time that Paul wrote this. And Jesus proclaimed in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Period. Because other than, rather than us trying to reach to God, Jesus, who is God, reached to us. I, I try to get the concept of this idea that God would die on our behalf, and it's hard, right? It seems like too big. I've been asked that lots of times. Why, why did Jesus have to die? And then I read a story that helps me understand. You may have heard it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. There was a one-room schoolhouse in North Saskatchewan, just north of Prince Albert, back in the early 1930s. Everybody's getting along, grades 1 to 12, and then one day a lunch goes missing. And then another day another lunch goes missing, and the kids are super angry. How dare someone steal their lunch? And it actually happened day after day for almost two weeks. And finally, they get to the teacher and they go, we're going to stop this little blanker, whatever he or she is doing. What are we going to do? So they decide together, and they write it down, the punishment for stealing a lunch in their school was going to be 10 lashes on the bare back with the big leather strap. 1930s Canada, no problem. Might not go so well today. The next day, no lunch goes missing. Fear is a great motivator for a short period of time. And so for actually several weeks, they're clear of this thieving. And then it starts again. And finally, the biggest kid in grade 12 catches this little grade 7 boy grabbing his sack lunch and trying to tuck it under his coat. That big, strapping farm kid. Probably about the size of my friend Jagerd, who's here. Not that he would want me to point him out, but my good friend Jagerd is here, and he was about that size. Great, 
big strapping man. And he has this little kid by the scruff of the neck and he hauls him into the classroom and he goes, I found the little thief. And of course, all the other kids come in to see the beating because that's how kids are. And the teacher goes, take off your shirt. And this poor little boy is just shaking by now and he takes off his shirt. And as the teacher goes to the back of the class to grab the strap, that grade 12 kid looks at this little boy and, and you can see every rib and you can see every vertebrae. The kid is starving to death. He's actually from the poorest home in the whole county. And he's just shaking. And the big farm kid goes, hey, teach. We wrote down what, what the payment was if you got caught stealing, right? The, the punishment for stealing a lunch. And the teacher goes, yes, it's written right here by the door and everybody knew. He said, we, we didn't write down who had to take those, did we? And the teacher goes, well, no, we didn't write that down. That's pretty obvious. And he says, teach, that ain't obvious to me any longer. And that guy goes over and he pushes the little kid out of the way, takes his shirt, pulls it off. He goes, teach, you give those to me. And the very kid who'd had his lunch stolen or attempted took the beating on behalf of the little boy. Oh, and it hurt hurt like fire, big welts on his back, but he could handle it. When I read that story, I thought to myself, that's a tiny picture, not even close, but a tiny picture of what Jesus did. We sin against God, and then God himself, Jesus, comes down and goes, you know what? You can't handle the punishment. And he pushes us out of the way, and he goes to the cross, and he goes, God, Father, you give that to me, all of it whatever they deserve. And he takes that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life. And so the fourth thing, I want to talk about the gift and what you do. You see, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I often say when I share the gospel, you know, people say to me, well, uh, you know, I, I go to church. That, that's probably pretty good. I go, really? I said, well, you can put a mouse in a cookie jar. It doesn't turn into a cookie. <laughs> Might eat your cookies. I said, going to church is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But you need to understand that you need to receive the gift that Christ is offering you. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. None of us can boast. You see, a gift is an interesting thing, though. I, in fact, I, I have 20 bucks, and, and I, I want to offer it as a gift to whoever wants to take it. I, for real. I mean, I know it's church and all, but it's a gift. And in fact, if nobody comes, we're going to stay here all morning. But you see, there are no strings attached. Okay, well, I... They, thank you. Go, go sit down. And, and, but what's your name? Sorry. I, Monique. Monique. Thank you, Monique. Enjoy the Cardo Cafe with some friends. Why would I give 20 bucks away? Other than getting kicked in the shins by my wife, I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> a gift has to be received. If my new friend, and now we're friends, <laughs> had believed me and sat in her chair 
Does that 20 bucks do her any good? I'm, I'm standing here holding it, trying desperately to give it away. And she goes, yeah, I believe. And out she goes, and I have the money in my hand. It does her no good. Remember, you must receive the gift. In, in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, it goes like this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it's with your heart you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's simple. And it's profound. And people go, that's too easy. I go, no, no, you don't understand. It's free to you, but it costs Christ this much. But he offers it to you. And, and I will share one last verse with you as I get to the place of prayer. It's a verse actually written to Christians. I'm not taking it out of context, but I love the picture because I believe the picture is true. It, it says, here I am, Jesus is speaking. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's going to fellowship. But that picture is in fact how God works that you're going along your life and God is trying to get your attention. And my prayer is that this morning he may have spoken to you. Use my voice and my poor way of doing things, but he would speak to you by his spirit and go, I want you to accept the forgiveness and hope that I have. I want to give you the peace that comes from the gospel. Peace with God to know where you're going. You can't get there yourselves. But let me give it to you, this gift. And so I'm going to ask you out of respect in a moment to bow your heads, even if this is not where you are. And I'm going to pray the prayer as I did as a young man, as a boy actually, and accept Christ into your life. And I would challenge you to pray, even quietly out loud, along with me, if you've never accepted Christ and you want this. When I'm done that, I'm going to finish by praying a prayer of blessing on you and then we have communion when I'm all done. But bow your heads with me, please. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I open the door of my heart and ask you to come in to be my Lord and my Savior, to make me the kind of person you want me to be. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And Father, as I close our time, would you bless these people for being here? Would you take your word and put it in our heart? Would you take the gospel and give us the clarity on how to share it? But it's not information. It's truth. And if we know you, then it is our experience with our Heavenly Father and the forgiveness of our Savior Jesus that we share. Help us to do it well for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And as Sam is about to come up and lead us in communion, I shared a story at the beginning, if you remember. If you gave your heart to Christ today, just now, or if you've done it weeks ago or months ago or years ago, the moment you accept Christ, not only as your Savior, but as your Lord, he becomes the pilot of your life on this earth and for eternity. Let me encourage you. Despite your circumstances and the things that you will go through and are maybe going through right now, I have seen 
to face the pilot. And he smiled. 